This is Anne Fremantle introducing another of WNYC's Pen Portraits. What is Pen? P-E-N. Pen is an independent world association of writers. The initials, P-E-N, Pen, stand for poets, playwrights, essayists, editors, novelists, and by implication of the initials, for all writers. Pen was founded in 1921 in London by John Galsworthy, who became its first international president. American Pen was founded in 1922, with Booth Tarkington as its first president. Other presidents of American Pen were Robert Frost, Dorothy Thompson, Marchette Schutt, B.J. Schutt, and Leonie Dell. The present president of International Pen is the old novelist, V.S. Pritchett. The pre present president of American Pen is the young novelist, Jerzy Kosinski. Penn has over 80 centers in 60 countries of Europe, North and South America, Asia and Africa. World membership is around 10,000. American Penn, which has its headquarters in New York but draws its members from all over the United States, has 1,500 members. Membership is by invitation of the membership committee, extended to published writers of demonstrated accomplishment. What is Penn, P-E-N, Penn for? What does Penn do? Pen exists to promote worldwide friendship and intellectual cooperation among men and women of letters. Pen is a purely literary association, working in a practical way on all matters of concern to writers generally. Better protection of literary copyrights, better deals for translators, workshops for beginning writers in underprivileged areas, lectures and receptions for foreign authors coming here. Pen has no politics, but it is against the imprisonment of writers for political reasons and Penn members in the Penn Charter pledge themselves, quote, to oppose any form of suppression of freedom of expression in the country and community to which they belong. Penn is, therefore, against all censorship of the written, written word. Talking with each other today on WNYC Radio under the auspices of Penn are Jill Robinson, whose third book is Bedtime Story, and John Lahr, whose third book is a comic novel, Hot to Trot. Both John Lahr and Jill Robinson were born in Los Angeles. John Lahr is the son of comedian Bert Lahr, about whom he wrote his first book, the very moving Notes on a Cowardly Lion. Jill Robinson, under her maiden name, Jill Sherry, she is the daughter of movie producer Dore Sherry, had her own radio show, appeared on television talk programmes and wrote for magazines. She has received a fellowship from the National Endowment of the Arts. John Lahr is a drama critic and has been literary advisor to the Lincoln Theatre Repertory Company since 1969. His The Autograph Hound dealt very faithfully indeed with, quote, the grotesque underworld of our celebrity culture. His latest book, Hot to Trot, is about a five-figure salary big-time TV executive who has messed up his private life and sets out to steal back his children. Jill Robinson's bedtime story is about an alcoholic man, four times married, and a woman on drugs, twice married, who find and save each other. Both books are, in fact, about salvation. Jill Robinson, author of Bedtime Story, and John Lahr, whose latest novel is Hot to Trot, are going to discuss whether one may, or indeed one should, hate one's parents. John Law is the son of famed comedian Bert Law, Jill Robinson of famed producer Dory Shari. Jill, don't you think that every child has moments, months, perhaps more, of hating one or both its parents? 
Oh, probably. I think if they don't, it's it's not terribly good. And I think that the later one gets around to it, the worse it is. Uh, I think only by uh, getting to that point of of detachment and displacement, it's always a wrench. You know, it's it's the the mere image of love, and you have to pull away with that. Only by getting to that point can you pull back, become an adult, and then reconfront them as adults and see see who you really are. Yeah, I think uh, I think in the case uh, of children of celebrities, uh, you are you always have a, there's all there's an added anxiety that's always imposed, which is that you're never allowed to be yourself. You're always defined by who they are. Yes. So it, you really have to fight uh, to uh, to uh, define who you are for the world. I mean, people are, will no doubt always in, uh, ask, say, "This is Dory Sherry's daughter, right. and I am uh, Bert Lars' son." Now, fortunately, in our family, um, mainly because uh, my mother watched uh, this very carefully, we all had uh, my sister and I had a very independent lives of my father, and in fact, until we were 10 or so, really didn't have a full understanding of what he was or who he was, although people somehow always asked him for his autograph. But I found, I mean, I think in the formative years, you know, you, uh, like say from 17 to 22, always the feeling that people are approaching you not for yourself sometimes right. gets you very yeah. angry, doesn't it? Yeah, well I always had the feeling um, as a child, I was, I was not kept out of what was going on. In fact, I felt that I knew friends primarily because of who they were, and when our limousine would take me over <laughs> to see Susanna Mayer, who was the daughter of L.B. Mayer, who was the head of MGM, and I would play canasta with her, I knew that because I felt, I didn't know, but I felt because she was the daughter of my father's boss, so to speak, and a very important man with a bigger mansion than we had, and two projection rooms, I figured, well, I better lose. <laughs> so, I always did, and then the protocol was that her limousine would return me. I mean, there seemed to be very set rules and, and ways of behavior, and they didn't, nothing seemed to have anything to do with me, and it wasn't really until I was about, uh, I guess, in my early 30s that I began to find out that I was quite someone altogether else, and that Indeed, there was there was a problem with money. I had to get a job, and I remember I went to one of my father's friends, uh, who owned a very big public relations company, and 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 then I had published already one book, and I said, "Listen, I really need a job, and I know that in public relations the people write, and I can do that pretty well." And he said, "Listen, I'm not going to hire you as a receptionist. How would that look for your father if he came in here and you were there?" Right. Or, and he said, "I'm not going to train you to be a publicist because you want more out of life than that." I said, "Listen, what I want now is a salary. See, that's what people don't understand is that you don't al already come equipped with all the magic." It's funny though, you know, in our family, uh, my uh, my father was, uh, I think, by any standards, eccentric, aloof. Uh, distant in many ways, didn't play with us as conventional fatherhood. We didn't have any of the conventional aspects of a fatherhood. Right, yeah. uh, and my mother, say, took over that role to some degree. On the other hand, we all, the whole family, including, of course, my father, uh, understood that he was a genius and understood that what he did was very special. And we all loved him for what he could do, and we understood that he was really most real and most alive on the stage. And so, 
our uh, our antagonism, which might have been more visible had we uh, had a conventional father, somebody who didn't play with us but then didn't do anything that one could take pride in or see as being very positive. We always assume, and I think rightly now that I understand a bit more about the creative process, his energy, his source, his focus, everything was being focused on his comedy, right? And I would much, in now, and I found in my own life as I moved into writing, he, he is a paradigm, an example. I'm writing comic novels, right? I'm, I'm writing, I'm, right. I'm, I'm trying to deal with uh, hunger and pain in, uh, and need in, in a comic way, and I find that by just observing him, by keeping his goal and his technique, which is essentially to corrupt an audience with pleasure, that really has helped me in a way that I wouldn't have ever dreamed at the time, even though I thought he was uh, something special. I would have ever known. I would have ever understood. And I, uh, I have a, a weird uh, affection for that gift, you know, that specialness that was well, him, you know. I think I think that what we have to grow to understand is that there is a difference when you're talking about children of artists and I think whether the artist achieves or does not achieve in in public terms it becomes a a separate different thing to live with with uh, a, a parent who's the the sibling rivalry is not with another living brother or sister but is with the muse is with the art mm. is is with whatever's obsessing and whatever, keeping the man from you and it may be uh, simply success Whatever it is that the parent is addicted to, and, and indeed this can be uh, in some parents, if if the uh, the gift does not fulfill the the parent will become addicted to something, and that in itself becomes. I take a sibling your point. Rivalry. That's a very good point, and I think yeah. the word addiction is a very good point. Yeah, and it is. It is like that, and it, it does so. the same thing as a drug would do, in that it it. Uh, puts you apart, it sets you apart from the child and from relating to and the child. And it also gives you, it's also very intense, uh, it's an intense high, which, which gives you, I don't know, which also, sort of, by the very nature of what it is, somehow for you, uh, i.e. the artist, like, uh, using, to carry this metaphor of the addiction farther, it somehow justifies your irresponsibility. Yes. Well, that's I mean? the thing. My husband said to me, listen, he said, nowhere is it written that writers have to be crazy. And he said, so... You know, <laughs> and that's true. Um, but uh, and the, there is another thing with, with uh, success, you know, when it, when it comes to success or anything like that. It's very difficult when the child sees a mythic image that is larger than life of a parent. And this is true, I think, in all fields. I mean, you know, like the, the most well-known doctor in town or the man who runs the candy store, whatever it is. The child has to fight doubly for its identity as an adult. You see, you want to grow to be the same size as your parent. And if wherever you go, it's not only that your parent is bigger, but that the parent is bigger even in the idea, in the eyes of regular adults, then you get into real trouble. You never can grow oh, to be that big. I think that's a very good point. I think that that's a very, very good point. Of course, again, so I'm always, I'm, I, uh, it's, it, it tends to be a, a cliché of journalists that the sons and daughters of are always inferior too, you know. I mean, yes. I always have to fight to say, look at, uh, do you think that Jean Renoir is uh, is uh, less important than his father? You know, I mean, uh, who's a, that's, I mean, I think that 
it's it's a cliche because some people in my father's case thanks again to the fact that my mother was taking care of us and uh, also that uh, he didn't care about us enough he wanted us to be successful but in terms of dollars and cents he didn't want us to be artists if you wanted to write you did that on the side you know you don't, don't that's not serious don't uh, do don't do what I do make a fool of yourself in public uh, go out and uh, earn a ready, regular salary you know oh, well that's what all artists want is they want kids who are doctors and stuff you know I well, mean, or, or well I, I think they think those they kind, want that those kind, I think I think stage actors maybe more than uh, literary literary folk I think if you start to compete what I, my point was that if you start to compete with your parent on his level i.e. kids who want to become actors you know right then you are really in trouble because then you simply are it's almost impossible and only a few people like Jane let's say somebody like Jane Fonda survive that kind of uh, impersonation Peter could not has not been able to survive it as a matter of fact I think uh, some of us who are, who are women are buoyed up in addition by that battle right now and, and you're able to um, you know although it's a it's a double battle in my home i saw a battle an identity battle between my parents my mother is a painter and a very fine painter but it was uh, my father's career that definitely you know ran the house and um, well her yeah. ambition which she felt quite appropriately came second i think it's a ch i think i i would say uh, that that w that was that was true in our family uh, and uh, I think it, given the the intense ambition of my father, it, I mean, where where every everyone had to sort of uh, revolve around his, he was the star and we were the the sort of galaxy, right, yes. right uh, revolving around him. I think that 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 was the only way one could survive that kind of intensity because I don't think that people understand that kind of ambition. That kind of that, that kind of creative ambition, and the, and that once you are um, uh, successful on that level, the the kind of anxiety, the neurotic anxiety that goes into staying there. Oh yeah. I mean, which is because incredible. Because it doesn't it doesn't matter how far you get. There's always somewhere farther that you need to be. Absolutely. Well, it's all based on a, I, I think I love this phrase. A vindictive triumph, right? It's all like yes. a, a, a sort of the, the desire to conquer the universe. The whole sort of star syndrome, which is promoted, which we understand from the movies. What's funny about that is that it's vindictive because it's neurotic. It's based on emotional greed, so that yes. it can never be satisfied. The right. more you get, the more you the want. The more you <laughs> want, because you it gets bigger and bigger. I know that's what I. Uh, that was my theory of why, for instance, me and and some of the other so-called Hollywood kids that, that I knew were so terrible. I mean, I went out of my way. I remember in my in my very worst depths, you know, which I describe in the book, you know, in vivid color. Um, <laughs> you know, and the worst rottenest things I did, lying on the beach, you know, drunk, and and some very important people walk by and they say, oh there she is and someone says yes an alcoholic you know and oh tisk tisk poor dory and i thought ah i've made it somehow my destruction has loomed almost equal to his fame in that i am known for being so bad the negative polarity to his positive right, one yeah exactly Absolutely. that's a good way to say it yeah i i i understand i think that this is i mean we're really talking about the same thing on uh, for me yeah i find my i don't have that I never had that competition with my father because I always loved him and I always wanted him to respect what I wanted to do, which he did in the end. You know, I think he really did. 
but I think uh, to the extent that he wants the final thing, well, he wants asked me to do a treatment for a play for him to do, you know, actually to help him sort of maybe but get see, a play. See, that again. was a very grace, graceful thing. Is there is a thing that happens, a rhythm that happens in most people's lives? I think as you grow, the parent there comes a time where gently, softly, the roles change a little bit, and then slowly, slowly, the parent must allow and wants to, needs to allow the child to take over and to become the adult and to become the supportive figure. Now for a parent who does not want to let go of the peak of life, the peak of vigor and youth, i.e. extraordinary success, motivation, so forth, this becomes an impossible circle to... to mm. I think that's a very know. wise thing to say. I mean, yeah, I, I think that that's very true. They can't let go of that and they can't go into that time of, of wisdom and guidance and being guided in a sense by the children it yeah. becomes so painful sure absolutely i agree. i I, uh, I mean i'm just thinking as you're talking <laughs> that yes. uh, the, the how had my father lived i think uh, he wouldn't have liked hot, uh, uh, notes on a cowardly lion until the reviews came out Oh, well, John, because I can tell you about that. <laughs> yes, my dear. Oh, bedtime story. I, it was I, going to be an embarrassment, right, until you got the big reviews, and then you were an artist, and then it was all right. right? Yeah, no, my father was quite fine. He, as a matter of fact, he said, because uh, when I was writing the parts about them, I didn't speak to them for two months because I knew that how I felt about them now that I had grown up a bit at 40, it's about time, I'd say. But I knew that, that I couldn't get back those feelings, those angers again, so I tried. And I didn't speak to them for two months, and they said of all the crazy things I've ever done, that was the craziest. But finally, when I gave my father the book, printed and all put together, and he said, uh, he read it, and he said, well, some of it's very embarrassing and this and that, but he said, it, it really is well written. He said, I have to tell you, it's well written. And uh, I think some of it's even brilliant. And he, he was really quite gracious about it. My mother refused to read it, however, until all her friends started telling her that, you know, <laughs> she got embarrassed. She read it and liked it. But, <laughs> but it does, you're right, it has to be a public thing. They can't make that real selection in themselves. Well, especially, I, I noticed, for instance, in doing that, one of the things we're talking about, uh, in, your, in the case of your book, which gets very personal and very, it hurts to write, it hurts to read. Yeah. And it's tr one of the things that's hard for entertainers whose business it is to banish care. Yeah. Hard to understand, I think, the process for in biography and in fiction where you try and face and, in a certain sense, regenerate, re-stimulate pain in order to understand it. In order to sort of get a distance on it, to throw, you know, uh, in, in, in a sense, I find, say, for instance, with Hot to Trot, which is comic, but it's about revenge and anger and a, and a sense of oh, it's a be, being betrayed. It's savage and right. marvelous. I mean, but, but you see, the, the thing that interests me is that, they, that that pain, for instance, for my father, which he, on stage, he took all that pain in his life, all those senses of inferiority and being, being nobody, and made, and made that pay on stage, right? But if you try to put that in a book, uh, we'd have talks, and he he really wanted to have a, a biography of his golf scores, you know. Yes. You know. Yes. And when you have when you have when you're talking about serious <laughs> issues, he was afraid. He, for some reason, he the whole, he was afraid 
to show his vulnerability as if he felt that his public persona actually hid his vulnerability, which is hilarious because what the people loved about him as a was performer... Was his vulnerability. Right, exactly. But of course, see, that's what they don't see. I mean, one of the things that people love about my father, for instance, I think he is aware of that, is his gentleness. And when that surfaces, he's really he's really terrific. When he's the man that, that I loved as a child, I used to see him with two faces and two images. And there was the man who would put on his glasses and go to the studio, and there was the one who would sit and write. And it's only now that I'm beginning to realize when I'm sitting and writing, I feel comfortable. I have his old Afghans and things sometimes, and I feel that I've brought back not, it's not me writing, it's the spirit of my father that I remember as a little girl that I loved the best who comes back to me then. And it's when I try and go out and do my showbiz numbers, I realize I'm trying to recapture something I didn't like at all and the, and the part of him that was foreign and, and chilling to me, which was the, the, the more, you know, overt success motivated I'll tell you something, to carry that idea a little farther. One of the things that I find in my life, at least at the, I, I, I think, I think I probably will, it will always be there, because uh, our family, as I said, was a, a very, very tight family, even though he was uh, in his own orbit. Uh, I'm very conscious now, and have always been, of keeping the family name alive. Like the, do you know what I mean? The keeping yeah. that keeping that tradition, which I think is the most, I think comedy and uh, like uh, the buffoon tradition, like is a great weird lineage, you know, and I find that sometimes when I'm, uh, like when I finished a book, and I think, God, and you know, you know how it is when you go back and you read it on an ordinary day after you finished it, and you say, how did I write that? I'm not writing that well today. I feel so ordinary today. I'm not up. I'm not in that kind of ecstasy that you are when you're, when you're writing, working. you know, and your eyes are floating, and you're just working, and, and yeah. you, say, you say, how could I get to that energy level, you know, and I think, I keep thinking that one of the things that I can't deny that I, th I see, it may be a nostalgia, you were talking about the Afghan of your father, I feel that it's, when I do that, it's a bit for the family, it's a bit for that tradition, it's a bit in a way to say at some point, even though, since I don't ever think of my father as dead, yeah. since I never saw him dead, you know, uh, I think of it as in some way just to, uh, it's my dialogue with with him and with uh, the family, essentially. It's well. I think that that's very important. I think that that you can't ever tell that to someone who's who's younger. You can't ever explain it. It's something that just it's the time for that comes when you want to go back. And and it's you know I think I I really am am extremely grateful that that the time came and he's still there for oh, me to go back to. Sure. And we reach each other on another level. And it stays away from the tension of competition. I mean, we still play little games. I know that. I mean, he'll tell me, you know, he's going to such and such a dinner and so forth, <laughs> and he met so and so, and someone's interested and he's doing this book. And I say, oh well, see, and did you read my review and so forth? And I know we're playing this dumb game, you know, like two kids. But, and I play it part partly on my mother's behalf, um, because and she looks on very amused, you know, and just just finds it a little cynical about the whole thing. I mean. But don't you think, I don't want to interrupt you, but don't you think that without your having hated yeah. something in each of your parents, or a great deal in each of your parents, you'd never have come back to this adult affection for them? I was never conscious of, 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 of uh, being at odds with my parents, uh, you know, violently at odds with my parents, although 
one tends to um, parents must always be the whipping posts for all one's own. Well, it's symbolic of society, of really, yeah. or of the of the. It's symbolic of of, of pretensions that that we ourselves feel we're tending towards and that we don't want because it pulls. I think the time, actually, the time is that we draw near the closest, we begin to draw close to our, our mature person, to the person that we're becoming, is the time when we feel that tension and that hostility the most. Because it becomes the time, it's almost like how when the baby is born, at that very instant that it's almost born, it hurts the most. And I think it's just before you begin to mature that you really have to hate and feel the pain. I think one the most. You may not be conscious of it, but I, I think, think my hostility happens. was only when somebody wanted to put me in a in a category or a role that I did, clearly didn't want to be in. And, and fortunately, my parents were fairly lenient. They just wanted me to do what I wanted to do, even though they were very skeptical, uh, say, of me starting out writing and not having a regular job. You know, work was very... And, and so, you know, that that's the standard thing. You write, what do you really do? You know, that kind of thing. And I just... but So that the hostility came just when that tension of one's own willing to be oneself came into conflict with the, the parents uh, wanting to will you to be something. Yeah. And, do you see what I mean? Yeah. And once that was resolved and you had your own voice, then it was simply, you had yourself, you had your voice, you found your voice or your life, and then we could all revolve in our own little galaxies very happily. Yeah, I, think, I, think that, I think that that's true. I think there's some, I know with me, the thing that I, I will never forgive them for is, are things that have nothing to do with them. And I think you have to, <laughs> That's unfortunate. That's yeah, you have to separate those things. And, you know, like, um, I will never, never forgive them for the fact that I'm not a raving movie star. You know, it's, it's things like that, the crazinesses that get in the way. And I think that if most, most people were able to confront that and to separate it and say, what am I really mad at them about? And very often it has nothing to do with the parents. It has to do with your own fantasies that for probably very good reasons you didn't fulfill. Right. Well, to conclude, as we're coming t t towards the end, would you say that from your own personal lives, which are terribly interesting, um, you, you have come to the conclusion that a certain amount, at any rate, of hate is... Uh, the strophe antistrophe, which out of which the resolution of a, of a full personality comes, the the, the 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 break away from the parents, which does include a certain hate. Well, I, I hate to, hate is the opposite of love, right? So it's a very intense passion. It's not it, the worst thing you could have was indifference. Um, I find that one doesn't. Never, one's parents are never away from one. They're always with you, and you're always debating them. And and you get angry with them, uh, and you answer that anger in your writing to some degree. But I would, I hate, I hate to use the word hate simply yeah. because I, I feel that they sacrificed and gave to us what they could, and it's our job to take what they gave, to disagree perhaps, but to but to absorb it and go on and use it. And for myself, as I said at the beginning, in my particular kind of fiction. I have found uh, both my mother and father very resonant in trying to debate a culture because they represent a position in the culture which was then, and I'm I'm moving in, in you know forward in time, uh, trying to some sort of uh, try to make some sort of synthesis. So uh, I appreciate very firm, strong positions. Well, thank you both oh, very much indeed. 
thank you, John La, for being with us today, and thank you, uh, Jill Robinson. Um, th this has been another of WNYC's Pen Portraits. Thank you.